there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for Coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Hope you're having a great day, whether you're listening to this episode walking or biking to class or to your job, because it is time for another decaffeinated career conversation. You'll understand why in a moment. Today, I'm speaking with Hugh Byrne, who has been practicing meditation in the Zen and insight mindfulness traditions for 30 years and has been teaching mindfulness meditation since 2000. He's a guiding teacher with the Insight Meditation Community of Washington and a leading expert in the field of mindfulness and positive habit change. He's also an author of the book, The Here and Now Habit, How Mindfulness Can Help You Break Unhealthy Habits Once and for All. (laughs) Hugh, welcome to Time for Coffee. Great to be with you, Andrea. I would usually ask you if you were caffeinated and ready to go, but (laughs) but in light of what we're doing here today, I think it's better that we're, we're all drinking decaffeinated drinks. Very good. Well, I've just got water with me right now and that'll be fine. We're ready to go anyway. I'm so thrilled that you were able to make it here today and have this conversation with us in the Java Junkie community because even though Time for Coffee is mostly about helping young people find the jobs that they're going to feel passionate about and careers that they're going to want to build, What good does it do you to be in a job, to have a job that you love if you're stressed out, if you're not happy, if you feel overwhelmed? And I know these are things that you hear about all the time. Absolutely, I do. And the practice of mindfulness and of meditation, I think, is is a really excellent way of working with stress anxiety, worry, the things that busyness, procrastination, lots of the things that we get caught up in in our work. And as you say, you know, you could be in a wonderful job, but if you're feeling like anxious all the time, or you've got too much to do, or somehow you're fearful, you're not going to be able to perform well enough, then it's going to be an unhappy experience. So The practice, these inner practices of awareness, which is essentially what mindfulness is, of being aware of our experience as we're having that experience, learning to feel our feelings rather than repress them or just act them out, that we can find more helpful responses when we are feeling stressed, for example. We can find a way, okay, noticing I'm stressed about all the work I have to do. I've got to get that report in for Monday or write a paper or whatever it is, that it's easy, as we know, to get really caught up in our heads. You know, we're kind of like, oh, I'm never going to get it done. And then something, we think some more about it and we get even more anxious, body gets all tight, and we're, we're kind of locked in a kind of stress response. But with mindfulness, the simple big starting point is just to come back, just, okay, I'm noticing right now I'm really stressed. Can I come back to my body, come back to my breath, come back to experience this moment as it is? And then once we do that, we recognize, okay, that was a painful, difficult place to be. But right now I'm here. 
I'm here sitting in a room or I'm talking to somebody. There's nothing wrong right now that I, that even though my mind five minutes ago was caught up in, oh, these terrible things are going to happen, that we can step out of those patterns, those kinds of responses. And that helps us lead more happy, more peaceful and more fulfilled lives. How, when you're stressing about something that's due in the not too distant future, how does being in the present deal with that anxiety that's that you still haven't completed? Right. Well, the anxiety is basically a thought in your mind. And the, um, the question really is, how much authority do you give to that thought? Because a lot of the thoughts we have are like, I'm never going to be able to get it done. They're kind of catastrophizing thoughts quite often. They're like fearful thoughts. And that's a different kind of thought than the thought, oh, I need to spend three hours this evening working on this. I can't go to the party or I can't go out for a drink or whatever. I need to do that. That thought is a very useful thought and probably a very wise one to have. Like, I've got to put in time to do that. But that's a different thought than, oh, I'm never going to be able to do it. And what's going to happen? And then often it's not just, I'm not going to be able to do it. It's like, oh, I'm going to get, get in trouble. Maybe I'll lose my job. Then I won't be able to get pay my mortgage. My partner will leave me. You know, the whole kind of nine yards, a whole story the mind can get into. So we can let go of that and we can come back to just the reality. And the reality can sometimes be challenging. Maybe it is. We've got a lot to do. But then we can begin to say, okay, what's a realistic way? What's a, a smart way of responding to this? Which isn't the same as like just, you know, proliferating thoughts, anxious thoughts in our minds. So being able to kind of untangle ourselves. And, the, and it is really a tangle because we get what comes together when we're, when we're anxious or stressed is we're not just having these thoughts, but our body is in a kind of a really tight and contracted place as well. And we're in what's called, you probably know the term, fight or flight. We're in this kind of evolutionary survival response. I've got to defend myself, you know, against a wild animal. You know, our ancestors would obviously need to get into this response we have this way of responding now, which is great. If a car's coming towards us, we want to be able to jump out of the way without having to, hmm, what shall I do now? You know, we want to be able to do that. But it's not so helpful when we get into that response over something that doesn't really call for that. You know, a report or a paper that's due in a few days. It's not like being attacked by a saber-toothed tiger. You know, we're not. And yet we have the same physiological and psychological responses. You know, we go into the fear mode. And when we do that over long term, then it really causes, um, you know, psychological problems, emotional problems, and, and physical problems as well, physical and mental problems. So, so having a way of stepping out of those unhelpful kind of responses is very powerful and it leads to much greater well-being. There's actual brain science yeah. that shows that this works. Could you talk a little bit about the research? Yeah. If you look at a graph of the research studies, scientific research studies on mindfulness between, say, about 2000 and 2016, 2017, it goes from about you know 10 papers back in 2000 or late 90s. And now it's up in the 600, 700 and up. You know, it goes like this. It increases, you know, ex almost exp exponentially each, each year. Because there's, there's 
hundreds and hundreds of studies on, on, on the, the benefits of mindfulness for anxiety, for depression, for stress, for psoriasis, for all sorts of different for conditions. psoriasis? Yes, of you know, people who had to have treatments and how if they practiced mindfulness over a period of time, had they had their results were four times better than a control group that, that hadn't practiced mindfulness. The, um, one study that, I, that is a very, very powerful one, and more of these studies are being done, are actually um, research into what actually happens in our brains when we practice, when we meditate that there are actually physical changes in the brain. So they took two groups. One did an eight-week program, mindfulness-based program, where they practiced mindfulness meditation for about 30 minutes a day. The other, the control group, didn't do anything. They did kind of treatment as usual. They they studied, they took pictures, as it were, MRIs of, of the brain before and after, and they found that the, the meditators, those who've been practicing meditation and mindfulness, their brains, the gray matter in the brain had actually increased in areas associated with attention and memory and areas associated with well-being and had actually thinned in areas such as the amygdala and the hippocampus that are connected with stress. They'd actually shrunk in those areas. So physical changes in the brain. And just to note, it's not just meditation that changes our brains. Anything that we do in a concerted way, they did studies of, of uh, violinists and pianists and how just by practicing the areas of the brain were changed. They've done studies on London cab drivers who have to learn how to get in 40,000 streets in London, any the quickest way from one place to another in this city that's built, been built, as we know, over 2,000 years, not easy to do. They would have to do three years of training and um, to pass the test, and their brains changed as well in different areas around spatial awareness. So we know now, you know, you probably know that like 20 years ago, the, the conventional wisdom was that once you reached adulthood, your brain basically reached the end stage, apart from losing stuff as you get older. Um, but, but more recently, the studies in the last, mainly in the last 10 or 15 years, have found that what's called, the, there's plasticity, neuroplasticity, the ch that is changes in the brain through what we do. And meditation is one of those practices that really helps change our brains in very helpful ways, you know, helps us to be more attentive, be more aware, be more focused, um, be more accepting of things so that we're not struggling all the time with how things are. So these kind of ways, meditation is a very, very powerful practice and actually, actually changes the brain. So your book, The Here and Now Habit, How Mindfulness Can Help You Break un Unhealthy Habits Once and For All, can you give us some examples of the unhealthy habits and then how long does it take mm -hmm. someone who's getting into mindfulness to actually unravel that unhealthy habit? It's a great question, and it's, there's not a simple answer to that. So I'll come back to the how long it, does it take question. But first of all, just say a little bit about how habits form. Essentially, when we do anything in a repeated way, the brain 
changes, that habits form. So I, I like to give an example that might resonate with you know those who are listening, probably those of us here as well. If you like ice cream, let's say, maybe you're, you're sitting at home alone and you're feeling lonely or anxious. Maybe a, a relationship has just ended and you're kind of a little feeling sorry for yourself. And you think, oh, I've got some Ben and Jerry's in the freezer. <laughs> so, oh, I've got to go, you know, you get a bowl and, you know, what happens is, you know, you eat it and you, you know, you, you get a reward, kind of a dopamine rush in the brain. The kind, Oh, that was nice. Now I feel a little bit better. I don't feel so anxious or so lonely or whatever. Fine. You know, no problem. But then the next evening... Or two evenings later, you're sitting alone, same place, kind of maybe same time. Oh, yeah, I've got that anxious feeling again. Hmm, yeah, I've got the the Ben and Jerry's, the Cherry Garcia, let's say, um, hypothetically. And I like tell- Chuck, Chunky Monkey. Shaka and Asongu, yeah, each one. Um, so we do that. Now, after a few days, it's still an intentional thing. But once we do it, you know, a number of times, and there's no set number, but we're all different and habits are all different. But, you know, at a certain point, what the brain does, imagine the brain is kind of, you know, it has a, a voice. It says, oh, I, this is what, when, when there's this feeling at this time of day, anxious feeling, this time in the evening, this is what gets done. And this is the feeling that's produced, a kind of good, kind of comfortable feeling. Oh, I feel okay now. So what happens is what was originally an intentional action has been shifted to become an automatic one. You think of the way that when we get in a car, because we've been told so many times, you know, put on a seatbelt, dangerous if you don't do it. After we've done that often enough, we don't even think about it. You go drive a car or go in as a passenger. First thing you do, you do that. Hopefully, not everyone, but hopefully most of us do that. And we're safer because of it. Healthy habits or unhealthy habits. Once once the brain kind of gets that message, oh, when X, then Y. Get in the car, do put on the seatbelt. Sitting at home, feeling lonely in the evening on my own, get some ice cream. And then after a while, it becomes a kind of an automatic thing. Now, the problem with things that have the habits that have become automatic is that they become very hard to change. The science around habits shows that however intentional we are about making a change, you know, I want to give up smoking or want to eat less or eat more healthily. Our intentions can be very strong, but when they come into conflict with an established habit, the habit tends to win out. And the reason for this is that the parts of the brain associated with habits are the really the kind of the part, the ancient part of the brain, the kind of the, the, the part of the brain that we share with lizards and probably dinosaurs millions of years ago had this, you know, the basic kind of automatic instinctual response part of the brain. So that's what's going to kick in. You know, maybe we want to give up smoking and then things are going fine for a week or 10 days and then we get some bad news. Then something stressful comes up very easily. The, the automatic part of the brain goes, need some relief from, from this. And so we go very easily can go back into the habit. It's why New Year's resolutions, they think it's kind of a joke because this so often they're good intentions, but we don't, you know, we don't carry them out. And so 
this the way in which habits form and the part the brain processes that are involved in it and i get into much more detail about this in the book means that when habits come into conflict with intentions the habits tend to win out so it's hard to change these habits so i'm not trying to say that mindfulness is this kind of magic formula you just kind of like oh you just press this button and it changes mindfulness is a training what we've done with habits is we've trained ourselves to respond in a particular way with healthy habits it's great we don't need to think about whether we brush and floss, floss our teeth in the evening that's great we don't need kind of assign that to these more primal parts of the brain but if it's an unhealthy habit we want to bring it into awareness so what mindfulness does is it brings what has become unconscious and automatic into awareness so what we're really doing is we're activating the more advanced part of the brain the prefrontal cortex which lizards don't have dinosaurs don't didn't have but we but we have that's developed really in the last you know, million years or so you know with the language etc we developed so we're try, we're bringing an area of our life and our experience that has become unconscious into awareness we're making something visible that was invisible and when we do that then we can come into then we can choose so what often we're doing with mindfulness is we're kind of we're we're getting to the roots of the habits we're coming back and we're saying okay let's take the ice cream example if we were sitting there and we said okay i i'm doing this and i'm i've done this every day or almost every every evening for 40 days and i'm i've put on 15 pound and i don't want to do that but i so i want to be conscious of that so what do i do Well, one thing I could do and this mindfulness helps with this is maybe I don't have any ice cream in the free, in the freezer. You know, maybe when I go out to the supermarket, I say okay, I'm going to be very conscious, I'll put together my my shopping list and I'm going to put I'll put on fruit and I'll put on nuts and I'll put on healthy food, but I'm not going to I'm not going to get ice cream. So then when we're in the supermarket we have to be very mindful when we're going down that aisle or maybe we go down a different aisle. So I talk in the book about bringing mindfulness to habits before kind of before we're thinking about it we're creating the conditions so we're not going to be tempted in the same way if i have that feeling anxious whatever i say oh i guess i'm going to have to have some fruit have an apple or a banana or something rather than the ice cream so we can deal with it before but then let's say we do have some we're in that situation we're feeling anxious and say okay now rather than just automatically go to the to the freezer get some ice cream i'm going to stay with what i'm feeling and mindfulness is often about staying with what's what we're feeling and very likely what we're going to be staying with is our feelings that are not pleasant to feel you know because if they were pleasant to feel then we probably wouldn't go and get ice cream to get a feeling of comfort they're probably going to be unpleasant feelings they may feeling of anxiety maybe or to unpleasant tightness in my chest thoughts about you know my about how how lonely i am or whatever we can stay and we can with mindfulness we can just breathe okay this moment notice i'm feeling tight maybe my heart's beating fast but with practice we can stay with this present moment rather than going off into doing the unhealthy thing so that's kind of a lot of the practices i work with in the book are about learning to stay that we don't need to escape 
from unpleasant feelings. We can learn to actually stay with them and see that they don't last forever. Often the problem in our minds is this is going to go on forever. This unpleasant feeling is permanent. You know, I'm always going to be feeling lonely or scared or whatever. But once we learn it's actually emotions and these feelings last at most a minute or two. That's all. Yeah. That's what this research shows, that the the emotions, if we can ride the waves for that time, a bit like smoking, the craving that we might get if we're quitting smoking can allow us to see, okay, that, that craving doesn't go on forever. If anyone's quit smoking, you'll know that it's hard at times, but it's not hard all the time. There are big chunks of time when we're actually not feeling that kind of urge, I've got to have a cigarette, cigarette, I've got to have a cigarette. We're actually feeling okay. But then at times, maybe we feel anxious or we're in a place where we might typically smoke a cigarette, then we start feeling it. So if we can learn to be with those kind of bigger waves, we can ride the waves, we can learn to do that. And mindfulness helps us to do that. So the final thing I say on this is, so I talk about before, during, you know, learning to be with the feelings. And the after is to be really to be kind to ourselves, to be compassionate. So if we do lapse, for example, we do have the ice cream or we do have a a cigarette, it doesn't do us any good to kind of start beating ourselves. Oh, I'm so useless. I never do. I'm never able to change these habits. That really just reinforces a kind of unhelpful way of responding. So if we can be kind and say, okay, I wish I could have avoided that, but let me just accept that I didn't. And let me commit again to to not doing that or to doing something healthy in that situation. So before, during and after. And to get back to your question, how long it takes, it's such a common question. And there was some conventional wisdom that it took 21 days. Most people have heard of 21 days. The science doesn't bear out 21 days. The most rigorous study I've seen has habits taking anywhere from about a week to about 200 days. That's a pretty wide expanse of time. You know, some habits take longer to to change because, you know, they're not all the same. And of course, we're not all the same. Some of us have more, maybe more focus, more ability to pay attention. Others may be less so. So we're all different. So it's really hard to generalize. One of the things that I've found over time with a habit like meditation is that about six weeks or eight weeks, somewhere in that period of doing something on a regular basis, say 15 minutes a day, can really set something up as a habit that becomes more or less automatic, that, that kind of a habit. One of the things I've done in recent, recent months is I get up earlier in the morning and I go out for a walk. And I I realized I've been doing that now for about two months. And I don't, you know, when I'm home, I don't think I've missed doing it. It's just become a second nature thing. You know, I get up about half an hour earlier than I would have before. And I I go take the walk. And I don't need to think about it so much now. So that's a a time that I find like six or eight weeks for a, a more complex habit, like meditation, like exercise, running, et cetera. Hugh, you've mentioned now a couple of times meditation and mindfulness. Yeah. There's a distinction between yeah. the two. Would, would you explain sure. that? Sure. Mindfulness is a practice of bringing awareness to our present moment experience. And mindfulness, we can be mindful anytime. Like right now, I can be mindful in my conversation with you, in what I'm saying, 
and in listening to what you have to say and being aware of the situation I'm in and the context we're in, I can be mindful. Or I could, if I wasn't careful, could be mindless. I could be, I've done a hundred of these and then I kind of try and phone it in, kind of say, oh, I know, you know, I'm I'm familiar. I just trot out something I've said before. Then I wouldn't really be being present. Probably would show up that I was, not that I do that, but I'm just saying hypothetically that in any situation, we can either be here, be present, or we can be somewhere else. We can be worried about the future. We could be ruminating on the past. We might be thinking about something that's happening elsewhere. So mindfulness is a practice, a quality of being present that really applies to any ta- any part of our waking life. Meditation is a more formal time of, pra- of practice where typically we set aside some period of time to, if we're doing sitting meditation, to sit for 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And we're kind of creating, if you like, a a space to do that. So we're putting aside all of our phones and our emails and responsibilities and asking the kids or whatever, the dog to be quiet. And we're just, we're, we're focused on this. This is the practice. Meditation really is a formal practice. We could do a formal practice of walking meditation where maybe we take 15 minutes and we just very consciously walk, you know, which is different from going out for a hike. So and not every form of meditation is mindfulness meditation. You might do different kinds of meditation. You might do a concentration meditation where you're specifically trying to concentrate the mind. There would be mindfulness involved in that, but it wouldn't specifically be a mindfulness meditation. Or you might do a, a meditation where you cultivate kindness or joy. That, that again, m- mindfulness would be part of that, but it wouldn't be. There would be a, a separate kind of objective in that meditation to concentrate the mind, or to have your the, the mind and the heart filled with kindness or compassion or joy or whatever. But mindfulness meditation is using the practice of mindfulness to be present with our experience while we're meditating. So. One way of thinking about it is you can practice mindfulness in a formal way in meditation, as we will do in a little bit for a short period, or we can practice it in an informal way in our daily lives, being present, in a, being in a meeting, for example, and being as mindful as we can be rather than kind of being in our heads of, oh God, what a boring meeting, there they go again. You know, that kind of thing with a, in our heads of like, oh, well, wonder when the lunch break is going to be. And, you know, we're, we're really not there. We're kind of checked out. Or we could even be in a meeting that might objectively be somewhat arcane or boring, but we can still be mindful. We can kind of notice, okay, I'm noticing people are saying the same things over again, but we could be aware of that. We could be kind, passionate towards them. We might even say in a kind way, yeah, um, can we focus on this, this point? Because, you know, we've said a number of things that that point has been made a number of times. You know, I could mindfully try and move the conversation in a more helpful direction. So whatever, whatever we're experiencing, we can be present in a conscious and, and intentional way. So let me ask you this, because most of our Java junkies are either in college or recently graduated from college. And let's say for those who are still in school, for example, how can we 
help them to deal with things like procrastination, uh, with things like feeling overwhelmed and the day-to-day kind of struggles of juggling studies with maybe holding down a job and thinking about how to get a job. Yeah. I think one of the most helpful things to do is to establish a regular practice of meditation. You know, even if it's 15 minutes a day or 30 minutes a day, I have a lot of my meditations on a website called Insight Timer. It's got about four and a half million people all around the world. And what's nice about it is that you can meditate and put in that you're meditating for, you know, 20 minutes or 30 minutes or whatever. It could be uh, just sitting quietly by yourself, or it could be listening to a guided meditation. And you'll see when you've done that, you meditated with 11,000 other people in Australia and in Europe, in Africa and all around the world. So, And it's a real community. And I have a number of meditations on that Insight Timer app for the phone or for the iPad, tablet, etc. And what you can do there is you can choose among thousands of meditations or sit in silence, just a bell to begin and a bell to end. And you can you can be guided in the way that we'll do in in a couple of minutes. You'll be guided in just being present. Just notice, you know, bring awareness to your breathing. Come back when the mind wanders. So doing that every day, you're making a commitment, for example, to say, okay, this week I'm going to meditate for 15 minutes each day. Write it down on your to-do list. You know, I'll do it and do it at 7 a.m. or I'll do it at lunchtime, whenever. You know, set a time to do it. Make a commitment to do it. Check off each day you do it. What I've found teaching for the last almost 20 years is both for myself and many, many people that I've worked with, they will say, and I will say as well, that when, when they meditate, they notice a a real meaningful shift in how their day goes that people often share how they're less stressed. They're more present in in what they're doing. They're not so caught up in, in being worried or procrastinating. They're more present. And likewise, if they, or conversely, when they don't meditate, they notice that maybe they're more cranky or they're more stressed or they're more spaced out. And people often say, and my family members notice too. They notice when I've been meditating, they notice when I haven't been for a few days. So it's a very, very powerful practice that can have a big impact on the rest of your day and the rest of rest of your life. So that's one thing that, that I, I would encourage. If if somebody has a class available, you know, maybe in, in you know many colleges, there'll be a meditation, somebody leading a meditation class. There is a program called Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction. Uh, developed by by John Kabat-Zinn and others at the University of uh, Massachusetts over the last 40 years. They use it in hospitals and schools and prisons and all sorts of different places. And it's an eight-week training where you practice every day, that you bring mindfulness to different areas, to eating, to communications and conversations, the formal practice of meditation. You do some kind of yoga and movement as well. Doing a formal program can be really 
great to give you a kickstart, you know, get things going. And then after a while, like once you're like riding a bicycle, it's kind of just becomes more automatic after a while. But another thing is that there are amazing number of books out there on mindfulness now. Go on online or go to your local bookshop and find hundreds of really excellent books on mindfulness, different, you know, coming from different traditions, some more secular, some coming from a more Buddhist tradition. And um, and a huge amount of resources available online now. I mentioned the Inside Timer app, and you know many courses that you can do online. Many things are available free. I mean, all all the meditations I have on the site I mentioned, they're all free. Just kind of click on there, listen, and you cultivate this practice. It's never been easier to do it. It's been around for in one form or another for thousands of years and benefited people. And now it's kind of reached much more available in, in the US and in the West. And you know, I think it's never been more needed than now, particularly without getting into any details. The time we're living in is a really challenging one. Many of us feel very kind of triggered by some of the things that are going on in the political arena. And, uh, and so having a way of working with our own reactions is, is really necessary. It's really essential, I think, because otherwise we just get we get into our heads, we get worried, we get fearful. There's, you know, I, I hear there's a lot more anxiety. I've many friends who are psychologists and therapists who say people are coming to them are really worried about what's going on in the country and in the world. So just really having a way of working with our own activation, with our own things that are triggering us is really, really valuable. So, Well, we have a wonderful treat for our Java junkies and for the Time for Coffee summer interns who are here during the recording as, as we speak right now. We're all going to get to experience a guided mindfulness experience with you, Hugh. So I'm actually going to sit on the floor mm -hmm. on the carpet for this while I move here. And I guess what should people do? What should, where yeah. should our listeners sit? Do you think is yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to give us some suggestions. Um, and, and they are very much in suggestions. And I use the language very much of encouragement because it's not like we've all got to be sitting cross-legged on the floor or whatever. So I'll begin just by inviting you to, if you can, just find a sitting posture um, wherever that may be comfortable for you. So it might be in a chair, could be um, on a cushion or on the floor. Some people sit with a meditation bench. But the main thing is not particularly whether you're sitting cross-legged or whether you're in a lotus posture or other kind of posture. It's just to be comfortable and to be in a position, a posture that's relaxed with a sense of, of ease. So it's helpful to have your back straight, just sitting in a way that's upright, back straight. You might consciously relax your shoulders, just invite them to relax. And you can put your hands in your lap or on your knees or on your thighs, whatever feels easy and comfortable to you. Let your chest be open so you can breathe easily. And decide for yourself 
if you like to close your eyes. Often people will meditate with their eyes closed. The closing of your eyes just helps you kind of come inward a little bit more. So imagine you're looking down into your own body, relaxing your eyes. But if you'd like to keep your eyes open, sometimes you know, it might be a little, people might be a little nervous depending on whether they are or anxious. So if you'd like to keep your eyes open, just look ahead of you a few feet with a soft, unfocused gaze. So just let your attention come into your body. Feel the, feel the contact of your body with whatever you're touching, the chair or the floor. Maybe you'll feel some pressure, some heaviness, warmth or coolness, maybe dryness or wetness in the mouth. Just notice what you're experiencing right now. Important to say that you're not trying to change anything or get anywhere in particular. Just being aware of how things are right now. You might consciously let your attention drop out of the thinking mode. See if you can put aside plans for later in the day, things you might be doing or things that happened earlier. Imagine you're just putting them to one side so you can be as fully here as you can be right now. Just aware of what's present for you in this moment. And as a way of relaxing a little bit more, I'm going to invite you to take some deeper breaths. So take a nice full deep in-breath, filling the lungs, filling the chest. And then maybe pause just momentarily and then release the breath. Nice long, long, slow out-breath. Until you've released all of the out-breath. And then a nice deep, full in-breath again. Imagine you're inflating a balloon. Filling the body, filling the lungs with a breath, and then releasing again, relaxing, letting go, breathing out. And again, as you breathe in deeply, you might invite in a quality of calm. You could say that word silently to yourself, calm, just inviting a calming. As you breathe in, calm, and as you breathe out, calm. Breathing in, calming the body. Breathing out, calming the mind. So if you liked, you could take one or two more full breaths. And whenever you're ready, just let the breath settle into its natural rhythm. Just let it go back to however it is. Breathing in and breathing out. These deeper breaths just help us to shift out of the fight-off-flight mode, the kind of more tense, vigilant mode that we can be in a lot of the time, and just helps us relax, helps us to come into a more just resting, at ease. And now just let your attention come into your body and 
slowly move your attention down the body. And as you do, just invite each area of the body to relax in turn. So coming down forehead, the eyes, the facial muscles. You might notice some tension, some tightness. Maybe just invite that area of the face to relax, the jaw, the mouth, the tongue, the throat. Consciously letting yourself relax a little bit more. Coming down to the back of the neck and the shoulders, we often carry tension there. See if you can relax the shoulders. Imagine you're putting down a heavy bag you've been carrying. then coming into the torso, the chest and the belly. Just notice if there's any tension or maybe clenching of the muscles. Just invite the chest and the belly to relax. And as you breathe in, let the breath come into a relaxed, open belly. And coming down into the arms and the hands. Just invite a relaxing of the hands, the arms. Coming down to the lower body, the abdomen and the groin, down the legs, knees, calves, down to the feet. Just notice if there's any unconscious holding and just invite the lower body to be at ease as well and the whole body to relax and be at ease. Notice how your breathing is right now. And one final exercise or practice to relax is to invite a smile to your face. So enough to activate the muscles at the corners of your mouth and the corners of your eyes. So you might think about a loved one or somebody who easily makes you feel happy. It could be a a child, a baby or a pet or a really good friend or a family member. Let their image maybe come to your mind and heart. And let the smile be a way of relaxing, just cultivating a sense of ease. So in this way, just these very simple exercises of calming the body and the mind just help create the conditions or a platform from which we can then open to whatever it is that's coming up, whatever we're experiencing. So the invitation of mindfulness is to meet whatever is present, whatever we're experiencing, with an attitude of kindness and acceptance, even if it's not something we particularly like, to see if we can meet it with with kindness, with friendliness.
I'll share with you um, a poem by the Sufi poet Rumi from the 13th century, Jalaluddin Rumi, um, poet and mystic. And this poem is translated into English as The Guest House. And it really speaks to kind of the attitudes that we cultivate in mindfulness. He says, this being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness. Some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all, even if they're a crowd of sorrows who sweep your house empty of their furniture. Still, treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice. Meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes, because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. So you might find this image of guests coming to visit to be a helpful one. So some guests are rowdy and difficult to to be with. And the invitation is just to let them come, do their thing, and move on when they're ready. So it might be a guest of worry coming up. You know, a thought comes about something you have to do. You notice you're worrying, you're thinking about things that might happen. So just see if you can meet that worry with kindness. Or it might be sadness, you know, feeling of maybe sad about something that's happened or a loss that you've experienced. See if you can allow yourself to feel that rather than what we often do, pushing things away pushing experiences away. So welcoming the guests. So notice what's present for you right now. Notice the bodily feelings that are here. And let them come and go in their own time, in their own way. You might find it helpful to just let your attention come to your breathing and just be aware of breathing in and breathing out. Nothing more, just simple awareness of the breath. This can help help us find a focus for our attention. So rather than the mind just wandering off into thoughts, we can have a place where we rest our attention. Sometimes we call this an anchor kind of grounding us in the present. So just aware of breathing, breathing in, breathing out.
notice your mind has moved off into thought, maybe thinking about having supper this evening or something that happened earlier in the day, something you've got to do, or a movie that you've watched or a song that comes to mind. When when you notice that, just kindly and gently let your attention come back to the breath, come back to the body, come back to the breath. It's very important to emphasize that thinking isn't a problem in meditation, not a problem in mindfulness meditation. It's really just part of the process. The mind will go off into thought. That's what it's there for, kind of taking care of us. So it will do that. But the practice is just to notice and come back. And each time we come back, we're really training ourselves to be present, to be more here rather than lost in thought. Really creating a more healthy habit, just the habit of being present, habit of being here now. can't fail at meditation because we're not trying to get somewhere and failing to get there. We're just here and we're just being aware of our experience. So when we're aware that we've gone off into thought, that's just part of the practice. Notice that you've thought your mind has moved into thought and just gently, kindly bring it back. Come back to the this breath. In breath, out breath. Something that's very inspiring about meditation, about mindfulness, is that we can begin again in any moment, even if we've been off somewhere for a long time or we've been sleepy or restless. We can just begin again this moment, let go of the past and just begin again here now. just take a quiet moment to finish
finish with this short poem from Martha Postlethwaite called Clearing. She says, do not try to save the whole world or do anything grandiose. Instead, create a clearing in the dense forest of your life and wait there patiently until the song that is yours alone to sing falls into your open, cupped hands and you recognize and greet it. Only then will you know how to give yourself to this world so worthy of rescue. Thank you for taking this time to to just be present with your own experience. I hope that gives a little bit of a flavor if you haven't practiced before what it's like just to be to be here now. Hugh Byrne, thank you so much for making time for coffee with me and the Java Junkie community today. This was a very special and unique interview for for me and uh, something that I will treasure. Thank you. Thank you. It's been really a pleasure being here. And uh, I hope this uh, these practices will be helpful to anyone who chooses to explore them. And uh, happy to talk more about this, uh, what I love to do. So uh, great to be with you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.